0: Laudetur Jesus Christus. Praise be Jesus Christ. This is Father Nathan Dale coming to you one step further removed from the church. So we just got news yesterday that all the churches have to be now locked. So before as many know we were doing having perpetual adoration and um trying to open up for more confessions and sacramentals, types of things, but even that is uh being stripped from us in a way at this time so I thought it would be nice in today's reflection that to, to talk about suffering why does God allow it because this is it's one thing to lose um, the things of this world but when we lose the very things that we rely on to grow closer to Jesus Christ um, that's when we can really be overcome by doubt and despair and just losing hope so let's talk a little bit about Why God allows beautiful things to be taken away from us. And I want to start with a quote from a great movie um called the Night of Cups. So I'm gonna see if you can understand this. I'm gonna just play it in the background. And it's when a priest and when a man goes to a priest who is suffering a great deal and he doesn't understand why. And this is what the priest has to say.
1: be the very sign he loves you. He shows his love not by helping you avoid suffering by sending you suffering by keeping you there. To suffer binds you to something higher than yourself higher than your own will takes you from the world to find What lies beyond it? We are not only to endure patiently the troubles he sends. We are to regard them as gifts. As gifts more precious than the happiness we wish for ourselves.
0: And that's it, um... If you are unhappy, you shouldn't take it as a mark of God's disfavor, but the contrary. It's a very sign that He loves you. To suffer binds us to something higher than ourself, than our own will, so it takes us from the world to find what lies beyond it. We are not only to endure patiently the troubles He sends, we are to regard them as gifts, as gifts more precious than the happiness we wish for ourselves. And in that light, I'd like to say um, a few words about the book of Revelation, because the book of Revelation is the book of hope. St. John wrote three principal works, and that those are his letters, which are kind of the book of love. He talks so much about love in there. The book of the Gospels, the fourth book, and uh, that is the book of faith. I write this that you may believe in the Son of God. Revelation is the book that he last one he wrote when he was on exiled in Patmos 60 years after he had um, experienced Christ and been in a seeming darkness after that uh, with all the sufferings that came with the original communities. So 60 years later, he has this great vision in Revelation about the end times, uh, which we we're always living in until Christ comes again. And so it's the book of hope to show us how to live And endure in that time. And one thing I'd like to just point us to is Revelations chapter 12. I'll just read that. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its head. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a desert. a place prepared for her by god revelations 12 so there's a couple things we can talk about here Um, number one the stars falling this also happened in revelation chapter 6 and when i saw the lamb open the sixth seal there was a great earthquake and the sun became black like sackcloth of goat hair and the whole moon turned blood red and the stars of the sky fell to the earth like unripe figs dropping from a tree, shaken by a great wind. So we have a few different images of the, sky, the stars in the sky falling down. And what this really is, is about contemplation. John has his vision when he looks up, and looking up into the sky always refers to contemplating the things of God, while the things of earth are always on a practical nature. What's easiest here and now, just day-to-day stuff. Um, so we're talking about the horizontal versus the the vertical, and the great temptation in life is to get so caught up in the things of the world that we lose the sense of contemplation, and that's why that first quote is so important. Suffering, when the things of this earth fall apart, it immediately makes us look up to God. Just think about like if your leg, if how many times have you thought about your leg this morning? Not too many times. If you had a, um, a sprain in your ankle, and so every time you took a, a step, a shot of pain was going up through your leg, you'd be thinking about your leg all the time. So suffering actually makes us aware of things that we never thought about before because we take it for granted. So when we lose certain things on this earth, we immediately think about God. That's why suffering's actually a gift. It takes us from this world to find what lies beyond it and so that's why God allows suffering. The stars falling from the sky that the devil, uh, the dragon, the red dragon um, represents the, the diabolical, he sweeps a third of the stars out of the sky down to the earth and that actually represents a falling of theologians a falling of the church because the church especially the bishops and the priests they're the stars that give light in the sky they orient us in the sea to show us how to get to heaven right but when the stars are thrown down this and the sky is darkened we're disoriented we don't know the way and one of, that, one of the things that signifies is that the temptation of priests and bishops in the end times to be so caught up in the things of this world, we are no longer lights pointing to eternal life. So the devil is the king of practicality, and he's always trying to make the church purely horizontal Focused on the things of this world rather than drawing souls up into eternal contemplation of the stars above. And so, John, what he's doing is he's saying we need to return to that life of contemplation, looking up to the sky, looking up to God to show us the way. Now, that's why this can actually be a great blessing of what we're going through right now in the church of having everything shut down. Because we can just take advantage, take for granted everything that's just given to us when we're going to mass on Sundays, um, confession, maybe hopefully once a month and whatnot. We can get into a routine, but this suffering, this having these beautiful things that every day, whenever we want, we could go into the church to visit Jesus Christ in the Holy Eucharist. Well, right now, that's not even being offered to us. So that, that pain. Of going into the desert, of no longer having him readily accessible like that, that's going to make us appreciate so much more when we get it back. And so, one of the churches, uh, John writes to seven different churches. Or Christ does through John, and he's affirming them, but he's also rebuking them. And let's focus on Ephesus. What God said, what Christ says uh, to the church of Ephesus. He he says that. He affirms them like you've been fighting for me. You've remained faithful. You haven't given into heresy. And I see your works, how hard you're working for me. But this I hold against you. You've lost your first love. You've lost your first love. And so in a sense, Ephesus was actually called to be the closest to God. It was those souls called to be consecrated in a life of contemplation and prayer But they ended up becoming servants. And this is the great um, temptation of life that the bride of Christ becomes a servant or a slave. So the church is the bride. And the first vocation of every bride is to love, to follow the bridegroom in poverty and absolute dependence. But over time, Again, that those stars falling from the sky, if the devil cannot make you bad, he'll make you busy. So he'll get us consumed with the things of this world so that we're no longer oriented towards Jesus Christ with our entire being. So it's very easy for us in the world to get caught up with all the practical things. Practical things, and we lose our first love for Christ, that love that made us want to leave everything for Him, that made us, uh, willing to give up all the things in this world, uh, to be closer to Him. And then we can get very stuck on just doing a lot of things. Well, right now the church, we, we have, we no longer have the opportunity to do so much. We only have the opportunity to be and so that's actually a calling to come back into the desert that's what god does he leads us into the desert where we're unable to do so many things so that we enter once again back into that life of contemplation and of prayer and of intimacy with him so it's very easy to become just practically minded so this is why it's such a gift at this point and um St. Paul talks about this uh, in Romans. He says, all your good works lead you to death, which is a crazy statement. All your good works lead you to death. Why is that? Well, works devoid of love are useless. So love is only fruitful when, it's, when we're receiving it as a gift from God and then we're pouring it into the world. So the church is first of all bride, virgin bride, espoused to Christ. And only in that receptivity from the gift of above does the church then turn towards the world to give what she has received from above, from her spouse Christ. The temptation, in our times especially, is to become mother first before bride or to become so consumed with the things of this world, of serving the world that we forget ourselves as bride of Christ, but when you go into the desert and you have nothing to practically do, well, the natural thing we turn back to the source. We remember ourselves as bride, and this is how God worked over and over again in the in the history of the church. He always takes his bride back into the desert to remind her of who she really is. So that's why we see in Revelation 12 the woman was pregnant. She's crying out in pain. Um, And the the woman clothed with the sun with the moon on her head, this is a double vision of the Blessed Virgin Mary and of the church. And Mary is the archetype of the church. So whenever we see Mary, we see the church. Uh, The church is always pregnant and she's always crying out, giving birth to new children, right? But that's a birth that comes from above, not on a practical nature, but in that contemplation, drawing souls into heavenly glory. Uh, But the devil, because he's going after her, God draws her into the desert. And her child was snatched up to God to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God. So one of the most natural places for the church is actually not the city. It's not the place where, you know, everything's happening and everyone's going. It's in the desert. Salvation comes from the desert over and over again. The church was espoused to God in the desert on Mount Sinai. And that's why in um, Hosea, really recommend that if you want to take some time to read that, God says, I accuse your mother, for she is not my wife and I am not her husband. Let her remove her prostitution from her face, her adultery between her breasts, right? I will strip her naked. And what he's talking about is um, that the people of God, who's always called his bride, his spouse, had god had assimilated so much the the world in which they lived they no longer belonged to him and they began to attribute to the nations around them the gifts that he himself had bestowed on them and so what's his answer to this well i'm going to what did you say uh hosea 5 12 5. i will strip her naked leaving her as the day as on the day of her birth i will make her like the wilderness Make her like an arid land, and let her die of thirst. I will have no pity on her. Um, Yes, their mother has prostituted herself. She who conceived them has acted shamefully. For she has gone after her lovers in this world, saying that it was they who gave, gave her bread and her water, her wool, her flax or oil, her drink, in other words, she's everything that God gave her, she's attributing to these false lovers of the world. And that's why idolatry is actually adultery. Idolatry, worshiping false gods, God and the prophets always call it adultery because you're, you're giving your heart to someone else um, before him. So he says, I will lead her into the desert. I will strip her naked. And then she will say, I will go back to my first husband. For it was better off then than now for she did not know that it was i who gave her the grain the wine the oil i who lavished upon her silver and gold which she used for false gods therefore i will take it all back i will punish her um, because she went after those lovers but forgot me who am her god Therefore, I will allure her, I will lead her into the desert and speak to her heart. And then I will give her back her vineyards in the Valley of Acre as a door of hope. So in other words, first, God must strip us of all these things we've we've come to depend on so that we remember the gift that they are, so that we learn to appreciate them once again. He does this over and over again. And most of all, that we remember it's not what we do, but who we are in him. He leads us into the desert so that we once again learn to to depend on him. So while you're in this desert, in your homes, when the church is locked, this is a time for you to think, how can I make my home a domestic church? How can I allow God to totally reclaim the territory of my personal space at home, especially as a father and mother? How is your home, first of all, a sanctuary for God? Because now you don't have the church to depend on. This has to come from you within. So, daily rosaries. Reading to your children, especially from the lives of the saints, is so powerful. Especially those saints who had to live in times of persecution when the sacraments weren't readily available. You can find those all over YouTube, all over the internet. Um, Looking at YouTube of different homilies that are going on each day. So you can stay connected to the word. Um, And taking up your responsibilities for teaching the faith, catechesis, but maybe just an hour every single day of praying the rosary together, reading the lives of the saints, talking about the faith. Um, don't make this a practical time. Let it be a time to come back in love. The other thing, last thing I'll end with this is Laodicea another church that God, um, Christ, was pretty upset with in uh, Revelation. And that's where he says, "'I wish you were hot or cold, "'but because you are lukewarm, "'I will spit you out of my mouth.'" Jesus hates lukewarmness. He'd rather have us be a great sinner than lukewarm. And what breaks us out of lukewarmness is often suffering. It's something where we're outside of our control. So it awakens us and realizes that we need to change, we need to adapt. And if we're always willing to keep fighting after Him to change with the circumstances, then that breaks us out of our lukewarmness and keeps our love always fresh. So I invite you to really take advantage of this time. How can you enter into the contemplative nature of our church in this time of the desert? How can you reorient your family, your life to God so that your home becomes a domestic church, a sanctuary, and in that way, we will re- we will return to our first love and we will break out of our lukewarmness and we will use this desert time for a renewal of our love for our heavenly bridegroom. May God bless you. Let us remain in prayer in these times. Goodbye.